Happy Thanksgiving, dear listeners. We are grateful to be sharing this holiday with you. We hope this day set aside for expressing gratitude finds you with a heart full of thankfulness for all you have, all you are, all the places you've been, all the things you've learned along the way, all you are becoming, and all those who have walked with you in your journey. We're glad you've joined us today. We're going to take a departure from our usual format, and I hope you'll stay tuned to hear from me, Kit, as I share some of my thoughts on this Thanksgiving Day 2022. We'd love to hear from you, too. So drop us a line on any of our socials at NowICPod and tell us what you're thankful for this season. For many years, I've laughed at this fictional exchange of holiday letters written anonymously but attributed to the hospitality maven Martha Stewart and humorist Irma Bombeck. Listen as these two women give voice to how they prepare for the holidays. Martha first, naturally, because she's always prepared and ready to go. Hi, Irma. This perfectly delightful note is being sent on paper I made myself to tell you what I've been up to. Since it snowed last night, I got up early and made a sled with old barn wood and a glue gun. I hand-painted it gold leaf, got out my loom, and made a blanket in peaches and moths. Then, to make the sled complete, I made a white horse to pull it from DNA that I had just sitting around in my craft room. But then it was time to start making the placemats and napkins for my 20 breakfast guests. I'm serving the old standard Stuart 12-course breakfast, but I'll let you in on a little secret. I didn't have time to make the tables and chairs this year, so I'm just using the ones I had on hand. Before I moved the table into the dining room, I decided to add just a touch for the holidays. So I repainted the room in pinks and stenciled gold stars on the ceiling. Then, while the homemade bread was rising, I took antique candle molds and made dishes exactly the same shade of pink to use for breakfast. These were made from Hungarian clay, which you can get at almost any Hungarian craft store. Well, I must run. I need to finish the buttonholes on the dress I'm wearing for breakfast. I'll get out the sled and drive this note to the post office as soon as the glue dries on the envelope I'll be making. Hope my breakfast guests don't stay too long. I have 40,000 cranberries to string with bay leaves before my speaking engagement at noon. It's a good thing. Love, Martha Stewart. P.S. When I made the ribbon for this typewriter, I used 1 8 inch gold gauze. I soaked the gauze in a mixture of white grapes and blackberries, which I grew, picked, and crushed last week just for fun. Response from Irma Bombeck. Dear Martha, I'm writing this in crayon on the back of an old shopping list. Pay no attention to the coffee and jelly stains. I'm 20 minutes late getting my daughter up for school, packing a lunch with one hand, on the phone with the dog pound. Seems old rough needs bailing out again. Burned my arm on the curling iron when I was trying to make those cute curly fries. How do they do that? Still can't find the scissors to cut out some snowflakes. Tried using an old disposable razor. Trashed the tablecloth. Tried that cranberry thing. Frozen cranberries mushed up after I defrosted them in the microwave. Oh, and don't use Fruity Pebbles as a substitute in that Rice Krispie Snowball recipe, unless you happen to like a disgusting shade that resembles puke. The smoke alarm is going off. Talk to you later. Love, Irma. At times in my life, I have been both of these women. The one whose motto is, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And the other, whose motto is more along the lines of anything worth doing is at least worth showing up for. For most years, I was Martha. 
ironing the linens, polishing the crystal and silver, planning, shopping, preparing, and serving elaborate meals made from scratch using recipes handed down from one generation to the next. Even if no one actually liked the sweet potato casserole with the raisins in it, or the raspberry apple jello mold. It was a tradition, and on a holiday given to the honoring of tradition, it was my noble duty to carry it out fully. While the turkey cooked and the men sat watching football games in one room, I gathered the kids and piles of crafting supplies for making turkey-themed crafts. The early endeavors were as simple as tracing chubby little fingers and dimpled hands on construction paper and using crayons to color in the feathers. In later years, we used rounded-tipped scissors to cut them out and tied them with yarn into a garland which we hung in the doorways. As the kids grew, the crafts became more elaborate and involved clay, real feathers, and globs of glue. The most popular were edibles like turkey cookies made with caramels, candy corn, chocolate kisses, and Ritz crackers, or turkey-shaped sugar cookies that we frosted with globs of colored frosting and sprinkles. Sometimes we strung together beads and made our own necklaces, a nod to the Native Americans who made sure the early European settlers didn't starve. Or we added peanut butter and birdseed to pine cones to make sure the native wildlife wouldn't go hungry. While my girls were little, I sewed us all matching dresses to wear to dinner. I'm not sure when this tradition died. It was either when they decided dresses prevented them from roughhousing with the boy cousins, or that dressing like their mother was completely intolerable. I do remember being shocked. When I was a little girl, I never wanted to roughhouse and I was proud to show up to the family gatherings in what my father fondly called our team uniform. I honestly never wondered if there were any other options. Over the years, physical and relational distance prevented us from gathering with our extended families. This made room at our table for new faces. When our girls became aware of kids at school who wouldn't have a place to go, or food to eat, or a family to make decorations or play games with, they began bringing their friends home for Thanksgiving. This happened increasingly more in college when many students were far from home and had neither the time or money to travel. This opened our eyes to the needs of international students right here in our city who were attending colleges and seminaries nearby, who had never celebrated a traditional American Thanksgiving. We invited them over to sample traditional American dishes, learn a little bit about our culture and history, to tell them about our faith in God and the importance of our expressing thanks to him for the many gifts he'd given us. We also invited them to bring a dish from the country of their origin, thus ensuring they'd find at least one dish appealing, and maybe share some of their own history and culture, and tell about their own country's harvest celebrations. This experience enriched our lives in so many ways, made us so grateful for our culture and our ability to experience traditions from around the world. It opened the door for us to host several exchange students. We also began including people who were going to be alone in the holidays, people who were new to town, newly divorced or widowed, or who had nowhere else to go. We often had so much food left over that we took plates to elderly neighbors who had no desire or ability to prepare a 20-pound turkey for themselves. Who needs all those leftovers? My girls rightly asked, why don't we just invite them to join us for dinner next year? Maybe they'd enjoy our company as well. And they were right. The elders added so much to our gatherings, delicious recipes from their own families, old world gentility and charm, stories of the past, words of wisdom, and opportunities for us to grow in compassion and service if we observe they were moving slowly 
for having trouble keeping up with the loud and highly animated dinner conversation. All of this made our Thanksgiving Day parties meaningful and memorable and made our hearts swell with gratitude. Often I would like to just sit back, napkin in my lap, and just enjoy the flickering of the candles, the smells of the rapidly diminishing piles of food, the conversations swirling around me, the way people's faces light up as they experience new tastes, new friends, new stories, and the comfort of familiar foods and time-honored traditions, the old feelings of giving and receiving, belonging, gratitude, and contentment. The reasons for gratitude and the expressions of same in spoken word or heartfelt prayers in joyful song or love-driven acts of kindness and generosity made our holidays that much more special. I couldn't help but think how much like the very first Thanksgiving these dinners must have been, as the European settlers, who had left home, family, and all that was comfortable and traditional, and risked everything to come to the new world, where everything was so risky, strange, and unfamiliar. Among the unfamiliar were natives, like Squanto, who Puritan leader William Bradford called a special instrument sent of God for our good. Squanto showed them how to plant crops in the world, introduced them to new ways of thinking, working, and thriving, and helped the pilgrims negotiate friendly trade agreements with the region's most important chief, Massasoit. How they celebrated together the bounty of the harvest of planted crops and fresh game, of blended cultures, of true gratitude for what they had and their hopes for a mutually beneficial future. For this, and so much more, all the effort of setting up and cleaning up Thanksgiving was worth it to me. Until one year, when it wasn't. The girls were either staying at school to cram for college finals or working, and wouldn't be coming home the year or bringing friends. The singles from work and church were traveling, or burying off and starting their own traditions, or had, frankly, received better invitations. The seminary started hosting a Thanksgiving feast for their growing classes of international students. The elderly neighbors had moved on, or moved to retirement communities, or were being visited by their kids and grands. As the realization slowly began to dawn on us that we would be alone on Thanksgiving, my husband and I looked at each other and wondered if there was a point to keeping the old traditions alive this year. I think he would gladly have made the 20-pound turkey if I'd wanted him to. I just didn't see the point. Who needs that much leftovers? And if we weren't going to have a big turkey, did we really need the sweet potato casserole or the raspberry apple jello mold? Did I really need to iron the linens, polish the crystal and silver? Was there a need to rearrange furniture, set up game tables and plan activities? No, of course not. And it was too late to book a flight to somewhere interesting or to get on a cruise. And honestly, it was just too embarrassing after years of being the Thanksgiving party everyone wanted to attend to confess that we had become the party no one wanted to attend. It was also embarrassing to see if we could wheedle our way into somebody else's plans. For most people, Thanksgiving is pretty much a family-only celebration. For most people, that is the purpose and the beauty of Thanksgiving. I wrestled with thoughts of abandonment. Everyone else was moving on with their lives while I was still clinging to the glories of Thanksgiving's past. I resented and pouted, I actually pouted, that I was going to be deprived of my preferred way of celebrating Thanksgiving while others were off exploring new ways of celebrating without me. I grieved that I had no better options or offers, or at least not any that I would seriously entertain. 
and that I would not be able to post pictures of our entire entourage on Facebook. I felt shame in letting down my ancestors for letting go of their time-honored traditions. And as I sat with those thoughts, I actually began to entertain ideas of relief that maybe this Thanksgiving could be a day of giving thanks in its purest form, in quiet solitude and reflection, without all the busyness, noise, and distraction. A day to relax, to read and write, to dream, create, and plan for the future. And then I felt guilty for thinking about how great it would be to exert absolutely no physical labor while all my friends were still frantically performing days of planning, shopping, preparations, and serving, and creating picture-worthy moments for Facebook. When Thanksgiving Day rolled around, I allowed myself the luxury of sleeping in and rolled out of bed just in time to make a cup of coffee and settle down into my comfy chair with my fuzzy robe and slippers, the TV remote, and the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The hubs was in his man cave with his headphones on, playing video games. We were quiet, content. Any other Thanksgiving day would have had me flitting around the place in a frenzy, making sure the table was set, the beverages chilled, the breads rising, the sides ready to go in the oven as soon as the turkey came out. I'd be making sure the bathrooms were clean and stocked, the ceramic turkeys were properly fitted in their nests of brightly colored fresh-cut fall foliage, the fireplace lit and fire crackling, the game table set up, the party favors packaged and sitting in a decorated basket by the door. I'd have my party clothes on, hair made up and done, and probably ready for a touch-up, the candles lit. Instead, I was sitting in front of TV with a bad case of bedhead, deciding if I should take a shower now or read one more chapter in my book. Then the doorbell rang. A friend showed up with a pie in each hand. It turned out that her plans had changed and she knew she'd be welcome at our home. She had pie in each hand. How could I turn her away? I opened the door wider and let her in. She knows me well enough to be nonplussed by my rumpled pajamas and unwashed face and somehow found the grace not to laugh at my dishevelment and obvious signs of personal discomfort. While I was trying to figure out how to tell her the party had been canceled, my college daughter drove up and said it didn't feel right to not be here for Thanksgiving. So at the last minute, she packed her bags, filled her tank, and drove hours to get here in time for our meal. Oh, by the way, did I want to meet her new friends? The daughter, who was at work, was sent home early if she promised to come in the wee hours the next morning to work Black Friday sales. There was no time to shop or prepare our traditional Thanksgiving food and way too late to defrost the turkey. So we pulled leftover meatloaf and scalloped potatoes out of the refrigerator and threw together whatever we had on hand. In my personal mortification, I'm not sure what all we put out, but probably spaghetti, hamburger helper, hot dogs, ramen noodles, I don't know, bags, salad, frozen pizza, jars of pickles and canned vegetables, maybe lunch meat and peanut butter sandwiches. Well, not lunch meat and peanut butter. That would just be gross. I'd not ironed the linens, polished the silver or crystal, nor had I run the dishwasher. So we had to eat off paper plates, and we used an assortment of mismatched restaurant napkins and plastic cutlery. We drank tap water and iced tea from red plastic cups. Neighbors seeing the cars parked out in front of the house thought the party was on. Some came by for a quick hello, and others came to stay. One of the elderly couples down the street brought their grandkids by and sang Christmas carols at our front door. It was a good thing they brought a full tin of cookies and that we had a little pie left over to share. At some point, I finally got a couple of minutes to sneak away and change into jeans and a sweatshirt, brush my teeth, and run a comb through my hair. 
I could hear the house full of laughter and conversation, and it made my heart sore. Thanksgiving may not have been at all what I planned, but it was perfect, literally perfect in every way. My heart was so full of gratitude. Guests at the traditional dinners usually left at a socially acceptable hour after coffee and pie, certainly before dark or the need to be served another meal. While they may have offered to help clean up, I politely waved them off, nervous that one of the crystal stemware might get broken or that the heirloom bone china would get chipped or that a piece of the polished silver would get inadvertently dropped into the garbage disposal while each item was meticulously hand-washed and towel-dried. Plus, I felt the need to manage the packing and strategic placement of all of the leftovers into the refrigerator or freezer. This year, if we had leftovers, they were hardly worth saving. There were no dishes to do, and only a few pots and pans to be washed, which magically got done without asking, prompting, or complaining. There were no social rules to follow and no real or imagined need for anyone to leave, so people just stayed. They sat at the table or piled up pillows and sofa cushions on the floor, throwing cards and playful jibes at each other, laughing and telling stories late into the night. I was glad for the extra hours of sleep I got that morning. All day long, I was letting go of my expectations, one layer at a time, about how Thanksgiving Day should be. I was learning to embrace the Thanksgiving Day right in front of me. Curiosity finally got the best of me, and when I got the courage to ask, I said, So, what do you think of this Thanksgiving? Best one ever, they all said. And for the first time ever, there was no pressure to perform. They didn't have to worry about spilling the gravy or cranberry sauce on the pressed linens, or if they dropped the crystal, or if they were using the right fork from the polished silver assortment in front of them. They didn't have to pick the raisins out of the sweet potato casserole or pretend to like the raspberry apple jello mold. Games sprung up organically. The college kids, rather than play the traditional games I set out for them, introduced a new game they'd been playing at campus, and we all got hooked. People gave and received thanks without the usual prompts. And I discovered some very important things that Thanksgiving. One, I had been trying way too hard. All that effort really wasn't necessary. Two, make all the plans you want. Just don't be surprised when life doesn't turn out the way you planned. And three, the best hospitality isn't about the decorations and menus and activities. It's about making people feel comfortable. I was going great lengths to show my family and friends how much I loved them, but all of my effort just made them uncomfortable. True hospitality is making people feel comfortable creating space for them to be themselves, and inviting them into your space and letting them see the real you. I'm glad to report changes have been made. Thanksgiving celebrations at our house will never be the same. Despite its completely unplanned unfolding, this particular Thanksgiving reflected the first Thanksgiving as well. Those in attendance brought the best of what they had. Nothing fancy. They were creating something new, something unique to the people, time, and place. Neither the Puritans nor Indians were formal people. They embraced the unforced rhythms of nature, the beauty and bounty of what they had, without explanation or expectation of anything more. Despite their differences, they found unity and peace. They let down their guard. They freely and generously shared with each other. They were truly grateful, not because they had to be, but because they could be. They simply were. 
Like our own Thanksgiving Day celebrations, the Thanksgiving holiday has evolved through the years. In the 1840s, many states held Thanksgiving celebrations, but they were mostly tied to their seasons of harvest, so they ranged regionally and were varied from state to state. Sarah Josepha Hale, an editor of a popular periodical, Godey's Ladies Book, I guess you could call her a social influencer, perhaps even the Martha Stewart of her day, launched a campaign for a National Day of Celebration. She published fiction, poems, and recipes for traditional Thanksgiving dishes, including roast turkey and pumpkin pie. Her ideas were popular with American homemakers, but they didn't receive official recognition until almost a century later, in 1941, when the Congress set the date for the National Day of Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday in November, and President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signed it into law. In Sarah Hale's day, in the autumn of 1863, at the height of the Civil War, when Americans were bitterly divided, Abraham Lincoln nevertheless called for a national day of thanksgiving. Lincoln began his proclamation this way. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. It was an honest recognition of true blessings and an extraordinary way to characterize 1863, the bloodiest year of the war. But even in the midst of a civil war of unequaled severity and magnitude, Lincoln continued, the nation had much for which to be thankful and much for which to hope, namely reunification, reconciliation, restoration, and renewal. The day was coming when America would again be united and experience, as Lincoln put it, a large increase of freedom. It was profoundly hopeful message, reminding Americans of the many reasons for which they had to be grateful, for life and liberty, for productivity and harvest, for faith and family, for principles worth living and dying for. Lincoln and Hale believed the act of expressing gratitude had tremendous healing power. We know this is true. Hearts of gratitude lead us to contentment and appreciation for what we do have and a lack of worry concerning the things we do not. Content people are not given to greed, envy, jealousy, or any of the emotions or related behaviors that drive people apart. Instead, thankful people are gracious people, willing and able to give and to share freely. They know their feelings of gratitude are doubled when they create opportunities to awaken the feelings of gratitude in others through cheerful giving. Rather than dividing, they unite. Grateful hearts are happy hearts, and according to scripture, cheerful hearts are good medicine. And finally, grateful hearts are hopeful hearts. They are always living in an attitude of expectation about things for which to give thanks. You know, you always find what you're looking for. If it's reasons to complain, you'll find them. And if it's reasons to be grateful, you'll find those too. In Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation, he spoke not as the commander-in-chief of the Union forces, but as president of the entire nation, both north and south. He made no reference to rebels or enemies. Rather, the president spoke of the whole American people. Some families may struggle to gather together this year, unable to reconcile their ideals to their realities, to find enough in common to have something to celebrate, or to declare that their differences aren't as significant as the things they have in common. As families gather this holiday season, it's inevitable that conversations will drift to things that divide us, like culture and politics. 
on this holiday in one of America's oldest and dearest national traditions, whether we celebrate it with all the formality and idealism of Sarah Hale and Martha Stewart, or the concession of the reality that holidays and family gatherings can be messy, like Irma Bombeck's, let us purpose to be united in the same way as the pilgrims and Indians in 1621, grateful for who and what we have in this moment, and to do as Lincoln said when he called on every American to celebrate Thanksgiving with one heart and one voice. And for those of you who, because of your hearts, habits, or hang-ups are feeling isolated and unwelcome at gatherings of family and friends, for those who are grieving the loss of someone special and the empty seat at the table this year, for soldiers and service members who are deployed, for loved ones in prisons and hospitals and nursing homes, and for all who are working this Thanksgiving Day to serve them, who wish with everything in them that they could be home celebrating with family and friends this year, we see you. We pray that in the midst of your situation, you will find time to stop and be intentionally grateful, that you will find ways to express gratitude for the many gifts you've been given, that you will know with certainty that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the one true good and perfect Father, a Father filled with love and light, who brightens our darkest places and does not change like shifting shadows. He offers you the gift of himself. For that alone, if not for so many other reasons, we can be truly grateful.